0: I'll say the first line and you will repeat the second line after I'm done. God, this morning we confess to you that we have not done great things in your eyes. We admit that we have done the opposite of what you tell us is good. Rather than doing great things in your name, we have done what we desire. We have pursued our desires instead of yours. Instead of speaking of the great things you have done for us, we have, become, we have been silent. We choose comfort for ourselves over the proclamation of your gospel. Rather than seeking to humble ourselves and honor you, we honor ourselves above you. We choose worldly greatness rather than your definition of greatness. Forgive us for these and all of our sins, God. Forgive us, God, because of your Son, Jesus and guide us to greatness in your kingdom rather than the greatness of this world. Amen. I invite you now to bow your heads and close your eyes and go to your Father in heaven. Father, we admit that, that today we stand before you as people who, who have made mistakes who bring into this house burdens, suffering, and pain. We bring them here to you, God, trusting that that you will take our burdens, that you will ease our suffering, and that you will forgive us for our mistakes. We ask that now, in the name of Jesus, that you would forgive us of all the things that we've done wrong against you, and help us by the power of your Holy Spirit To live according to the way that you would have us do. In your name we pray. Amen. When God looks at you now, because of Jesus, he doesn't see someone who who has made mistakes, a criminal, someone who's a failure in the things that he has set for you to do. But instead, he sees a child. He sees a son or a daughter. Because in Jesus' death... He's given each of you that title, that status as child of God, so that when God looks at you, he sees his son and the work that he did on the cross. And because of that, I have the opportunity as a fellow Christian to announce to you that all of your sins, every one of them because of Jesus, are forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you can go ahead and have a seat as we now have the opportunity to, to go to the, our Lord's table and to receive the gifts that he has to give us in the form of, of bread and wine and body and blood of Jesus. And we believe that, that in this meal, Jesus meets us in his body and in his blood here. And if that's a strange teaching for you, if that's something you've never heard before, or, or if that's uh, a little bit weird for you, then, then I encourage you, as you're uh, as the ushers have you come forward, to go ahead and cross your arms as you come up to receive, and and you'll receive a blessing instead. And if that's a little bit weird for you too, you can feel free to sit in your seat and pray and worship with us as well. And now we have the opportunity to go to the Lord's table. Yesterday, Pastor Matt had the opportunity to come in here and to consecrate this meal. And these are the words that he used to do it. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he gave it to the disciples and said, drink of this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this often in remembrance of me. Our ushers will welcome you forward. And if you also have any questions about what we're doing here today, please feel free to talk to me after service, talk to one of our elders up here, and we'd be happy to talk to you more about it. But come forward now and receive something.
1: Name above every other name, Jesus, the only.
0: It's true that in this meal you have really received Jesus' body and his blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And may this truth strengthen you in your faith until the day when Jesus returns to bring us all into the place where every wrong in this world has been made right into his new creation that he is preparing for us. We now have the opportunity, having received these gifts, to confess something that the church has confessed for for hundreds and hundreds of years, a creed that summarizes our faith, the words of the Nicene Creed. We now stand and confess those words together on the screen. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You can have a seat. And we have a lot that's going on here at St. Mark, especially during this season of Lent and as we quickly approach Easter in a couple weeks here. So that you know everything that's going on, go ahead and take a look at this video.
2: Good morning, St. Mark family. Here's what you need to know. You're invited to our neighborhood picnic on Sunday, April 18th. We'll have regular worship at 9 and 1030 a.m., followed by a picnic lunch at 12 p.m. Invite your friends and family to enjoy an afternoon of free food and fun, including a puppy petting zoo, games, and a balloon artist. St. Mark will host an Easter egg hunt on Sunday, March 28th, for children in preschool through fifth grade. Join us at 10 a.m. in the gym for instructions and then search around campus for eggs. Kids can turn in eggs for goodies and prizes. We're seeking donations of empty plastic eggs, individually wrapped candy, stickers, glow sticks, stuffed animals, and other small toys. To volunteer during the event or to make a donation, visit stmarkhouston.org slash egg hunt. We need your help. Take a horizontal selfie video of yourself or your family saying, he is risen, he is risen indeed, hallelujah. We'll use these for a fun compilation during Easter worship. Upload your video to us at stmarkhouston.org slash video. As you've probably noticed, preparation for Easter is well underway. We hope you'll invite your friends and family to join us for worship at nine or 1030 AM on Sunday, April 4th. We've got something for everyone. Tasty treats, great music, a message that will make sense, and a chance to stab a photo with the Easter Bunny. We'll also host the Youth Easter Breakfast Fundraiser from 7 to 11 a.m. If you can't make it to service in person, we invite you to tune in to a special online service streaming at easterforhouston.com. We can't wait to celebrate with you. That's all.
0: Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Mark, from the 10th chapter, and, and in this passage we see Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem, that, that he's going to the city, and, and some of the disciples are trusting in Jesus, confident in what he's going to do, and others aren't, aren't so sure. They're a little bit nervous that he's going to Jerusalem because they feel like there's going to be an encounter with the scribes and with the Pharisees. And there's also some of those followers of Jesus that are trying to to fill their own benefits, as we'll see in the passage. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them, and his disciples were shocked that he was going to Jerusalem. The others who followed were afraid. Once again, he took the 12 apostles aside. He began to tell them what was going to happen to him. We're going to Jerusalem. There, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the experts in Moses' teachings. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to foreigners. They will make fun of him, spit on him, whip him, and kill him. But after three days, he will come back to life. James and John, sons of Zebedee, went to Jesus. They said to him, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. What do you want me to do for you? he asked them. And they said to him, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus said, You don't realize what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to receive? We can, they told him. Jesus told them, You will drink the cup that I'm going to drink. You will be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to receive. I don't have the authority to grant you a seat at my right or left. Those positions have already been prepared for certain people. When the other ten apostles heard it, they were irritated with James and John. Jesus called the apostles and said, You know that the acknowledged rulers of nations have absolute power over people, and their officials have absolute authority over people. But that's not the way it's going to be among you. Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be most important among you will be a slave for everyone. It's the same way with the Son of Man. He didn't come so that others could serve him. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When kids are growing up, they want to be a lot of different things, right? They have a lot of different career options. I mean, they might want to be a, a police officer or a firefighter, maybe a, a ballerina, an actress, or a superhero, or a mega athlete. And the fact is that they want to be these things. And the reason why is because that's their definition of greatness, It's not because they went to career day and found out that superheroes get a really good perks like a company car and like good health insurance. That's not why. They wanna be these kinds of people because they wanna be great, because they look up to these people. But as time goes on, as you get older, as your kids, maybe as they got older, they decided they wanted to be different things, right? They had about 100 different career options in mind. I know when I was little, probably about five, I wanted to be a cowboy. And while I made it down to Texas, I didn't exactly make that one work out. Good thing I had a backup plan. But the fact is that greatness, that definition that we have of greatness when we're little, isn't the same as when we get older into adulthood. It goes from having cool trucks and, and being in the spotlight, from beating up bad guys. And the definition of greatness goes to things like having a lot of money, having a nice house, a stable and fulfilling career. These sorts of things. And now even though this definition of greatness might change over time, I think we have a greater cultural definition of greatness, right? It's kind of like you know greatness when you see it. It's people who have success, who are the best in what they do. It's people who have wealth and possessions, who are fulfilled in their jobs, who do things that, that no one else thought they could do. That's kind of our cultural definition of greatness. And I think that this definition of greatness can be boiled down to really two main characteristics of of people who achieve greatness. And the first one is leverage. Leverage meaning using your talents, the resources around you, your abilities, and even other people to get you where you need to be in life, where you want to be in life, to be successful, to be great and you get into you use these things as leverage to get into places of high standing or status to the position that you want to be in, and you use people and the resources around you in order to get into that position. For example, Jeff Bezos used leverage with his business knowledge and with his, his confidence, his projections about how popular the internet was gonna turn out to be, and he created Amazon and became the world's richest man, right? He used leverage to get to that position. Steve Jobs used leverage with his business partner's computer skills and his ideas for marketing and design in order to create Apple and completely change the way that all of us live. And celebrities use leverage with their personalities and with their presence on social media in order to make us all follow them, right? And then we have lordship. That's the second characteristic. That's the second definition that we can boil greatness down to in our culture. It means having authority and status and power over the people in your life. I mean, think about it. Whoever is president is a really big deal because the president can change lots of things in our lives, and he can change the world almost single-handedly. And superstar athletes like Tom Brady and LeBron James who are at the top of their game are great because no one can beat them. They are the most powerful athletes in their sport. And they're the greatest. And they use that talent, that power, that ability, that authority in order to stay the greatest. That's what all people do who are great. They try to keep that status and that title and keep other people less than them not so great as them. In other words, you use your authority, your power, in order to lord over people, to keep your status, and so that other people don't take it from you. And so whether it's your company or your community or your culture, if you want to be the best, you probably, almost every situation, are going to need to use leverage and lordship, in order to get to be the greatest, to be the best, to find success, and in order to stay there. And that's exactly what James and John are trying to do in our text this morning in the Gospel of Mark. They got together and they said, hey, we're Jesus' disciples. Like, we're in pretty good with Jesus. So let's use this position. Let's leverage our relationship with Jesus to try to be great, to try to achieve success, authority, power, when Jesus finally comes into power, when he comes into his full glory. So they go to Jesus and they say, hey, can we, can we be great? I mean, all you, had to, all you said we had to do was ask and we shall receive, right? So can we be on your left and your right? And the problem with that is is that James and John don't understand who Jesus is. Their view of Jesus is still so narrow that they don't understand what he's come to do. They think he's going to be like King David, right? He's going to overthrow the Roman rule over them. He's going to be the warrior, priest, and king of Israel, that he's going to come take the throne and make Israel great again, bring Israel back to its golden years, They also thought he maybe was going to be more like a Moses who's going to lead his people out under the oppression of the Romans and who was going to, once again, lead his people out of oppression and captivity like Moses did when the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. They thought he was going to be all the great Old Testament leaders all rolled into one and that he was going to bring Israel back to its golden years. But Jesus isn't doing anything like that. He's not trying to achieve political status or authority or position. Instead, he has his face set to the cross. He's already looking at Good Friday because he knows what God's will is for him and what he has to do. And the disciples, they still don't get it. And so Jesus reprimands them. Jesus says, you don't realize what you're asking. You will drink the cup that I'm going to drink. You will be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to receive, but I don't have the authority to grant you a seat at my right or my left. Those positions have already been prepared for certain people. Jesus says that there's going to be people on either side of him when he finally comes into power, into his glory, but it's not going to be James and John. It's not going to be who they think it is. And he then takes their entire perspective of greatness and completely flips it on its head. Here's what he says. He says, you know that the acknowledged rulers of nations have absolute power over people and their authorities have absolute authority or their officials have absolute authority over people. But that's not the way it's going to be among you. That's not how you, my disciples and followers are going to treat each other. He says, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant." That you have to become a servant in order to be great in Jesus' eyes, by God's standards, in his kingdom. Jesus says that their entire idea of what greatness is, is completely wrong. It's not about power, position, or possessions. It's not about leveraging other people to get to the place where you want to be, to find that success that you want to be great And it's not about using your success, your power, your authority in order to lord it over people, in order to to keep your status and keep climbing up the ladder, in order to keep other people below you. Jesus says that greatness, the real definition of greatness, isn't leverage and lordship. It's service and submission. Not leverage and lordship, but service and submission. Becoming a servant to all the people around you. Jesus says if you want to be great, you have to be a servant to everyone. Just like Jesus is about to do. By giving his life for everyone on the cross. By giving his life as a ransom for many. And just like greatness isn't what the disciples expected it to be, that definition of greatness that Jesus has isn't what their definition of greatness is, The kingdom of God that Jesus has brought down to earth is also not what the disciples expected it to be. The kingdom of God, which is God's rule and reign on earth, all the work that Jesus does in his ministry is about bringing the kingdom of God to you, to people. And they thought that that kingdom was going to look a certain way. They thought the, the Messiah, the anointed one, was going to be a king, was going to be king of Israel, not a servant to anyone. They thought he was going to overthrow the Romans, not be executed by them on a cross. Je- they thought that Jesus was going to be like a Moses who leads them out from underneath oppression. But instead, Jesus is more like the Passover lamb that the Israelites sacrificed in Egypt, whose blood saved them, their firstborn from death. That's what Jesus is. He's the lamb who gives himself, his life, his blood as a ransom for many. Jesus' glory doesn't look like glory and greatness the way we see it. It looks like him submitting himself to death on a cross so that he can serve and save you from death. Jesus doesn't exercise leverage and lordship, but he serves and submits himself to God and his will for him, for you, to give you his power, his position, his status as children of God. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see someone who's a sinner, someone who deserves death, but he sees a child, his child. And that, that is greatness redefined according to Jesus. That's the kingdom of God brought down to you and for you. Like I said, it's not what anyone expected. It's way, way better. So what is this, this definition that Jesus gives of greatness? How does this definition apply to you today? How, is it, how are we supposed to read this and understand this today living in Houston, Texas? I think it means a couple things for us today. I think it means that that you won't have greatness by making yourself great in your own eyes or in the eyes of the world, as Jesus says. It means that you are great by service, by submitting yourself and loving the people around you like Jesus did for you. Because in order to serve and submit yourself to someone, you kind of have to love them and it means that you don't pursue success so much so that you leverage other people as a resource rather than loving them as a child of God like Jesus has called you to do. It means that you don't step on people in order to climb up the ladder of success. It means that you spend less time in the office trying to be the best employee you can be and more time at home trying to be the best spouse and the best dad or parents and the best family member that you can be the best friend that you can be. And now, working hard and trying to achieve success is a good thing, right? God intends you to to do well at your job. But I think sometimes we can place our pursuit of success, our pursuit of, of greatness, above what Jesus has called all of us to do, to love, to serve, and submit to the people around us. And so I think the question that that all of us have to ask ourselves and that I would encourage you to ask yourselves this week is this, is your pursuit of success or greatness getting in the way of serving and submitting and loving the people around you? Is your pursuit of success getting in the way of serving, submitting to, and loving the people around you? The people like your spouse, like your family, or even like like your friends, like your coworkers, people that, that you just interact with a little bit every day. Are you loving and serving and submitting to them like Jesus calls all of you and me to do? I think many of us can find ourselves placing that greatness, that, that desire for success and greatness above what Jesus has called us to do, that we can leverage and lordship our way to the top rather than serving and submitting and loving to the greatness that Jesus intends for us. I think when you find yourself doing that, when you find yourself placing that pursuit of success above the call to love others, I think then what we need to do is look at James and John and look at Jesus' response to them. James and John asked for something they didn't understand. They asked for, for a place at Jesus' side. They thought that Jesus was going to, to be in the palace of Jerusalem on the throne ruling over Israel and that he was going to have all his, his buddies, all his disciples by his side. And they wanted to be closest to him, to his greatness. But Jesus' glory didn't look that way. Instead, Jesus' glory was on the cross. And those two places that James and John asked for were already taken by the criminals on either side of him dying next to him. Jesus humbles and submits himself so much so that he dies with criminals, with failures, with people who are the complete opposite of greatness in our eyes and in the eyes of the world. That's where the place of glory, that's who the place of glory was given to. And at least one of them, one of them understood what Jesus was doing, understood that Jesus was dying to save criminals, to save failures, to save outlaws in the kingdom of God, people who don't deserve to be there. That's who Jesus was serving, submitting himself to and saving. That's each and every one of us. Failures, outlaws, and people who don't deserve God's love or to be in his kingdom. But that's what Jesus gives you. He takes the inglorious death that we all deserve and gives you instead his status and his position as a child of God in God's kingdom. That's what each and one of you get, and that's how God sees you now. People who don't deserve to be glorified get to live with Jesus forever now in his glory. And because of that, we're called to follow Jesus' example, to serve and submit and love the people around us. So let that question, that question that I posed, and Jesus' work for you, redefine what greatness looks like in your life. This week, throughout your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here together today to receive all that you have to give us. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, to be the Passover lamb that, that saves us by his blood. We thank you for that, God. And we pray that you would help us in our lives throughout this week and and throughout the entirety of our life to try our best to serve you, submit to you, and to serve and love the people around us as well. Help us to do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.